softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portal, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home, earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling all sinners. Come, come home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, that's an invitation. Straight out the gate to get yourself home. You ever seen the porch light flicker? We're the old saints. The youth are like, I don't go outside. I don't know. <laughs> I'm talking about the porch light. Where my saints at? When you saw the flicker, that means come, come home. And in route to invite you home, Pastor John Metter said, preach a good sermon. <laughs> no pressure at first, Eulis. But a good sermon has three ingredients involved, and I want to give them to you right now. For a good sermon, you got to have your Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Stand alone on the Word of God. It's the B-I-B-L-E. And if you didn't bring your Bible, it's only because you memorized it all. <laughs> Touch your neighbor and say, liar, liar. <laughs> so you got to have a good sermon, and here's why. So you can dig deeper. Study to show yourself approved. Workmen, workwomen, not ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. That's point one. Point two, for a good sermon, you got to have a mirror. So you can look deeper. And this Sunday, you will be invited off your blessed assurance to come to the altar and take a good look at the man or woman in the mirror. Look deeper. Don't be shallow. Don't be surface. Don't let this word go in one ear and out the other. You're not to be hearers of the word only on this day of preparation to launch into camp, but be a doer of the word. Dig deeper and look deeper, behold, you're looking at fearfully and wonderfully made. I brought my own amens, preach Mike, amen. That's the third element for a good sermon. I'm trying to hurry, but my soul is happy. The third thing you gotta have, you gotta have a dictionary. Anybody bring one? You got your phone? Because this gospel message is gonna be splendiferous. I know y'all don't know the definition of splendiferous, but if you look it up, then it'll be an aha moment. And so I had to take inventory, self-assessment to get home, to preach a good sermon, to hear a good word, and to not be up here getting a whooping by myself. So I'm inviting all of y'all to the whipping shed. <laughs> Anybody look back over your last week and recognize that was a bump, a cog in the wheel, issues? Anybody, not just me, look back over last week and you'd fallen and couldn't get up? I just got to be honest, I blew it. I wanted to go back a year, but then God said, just look like last week, 
you messed it all up. The preacher, brother from another mother, this dude. The one who's pastor and evangelist. Every now and then, I don't get it right. And so I'm a work in progress. And before you start guessing what did he do, I'm going to tell you what I did. Some of y'all already said, uh-huh, I knew he didn't have it all together. Let me tell you. Here's what I learned from just last week to this week. I learned God is good all the time. But there's a but in the equation. I learned I am not. Oh, I grieve to tell you, I hurt to even admit that. God is good consistently yesterday, today, and forever. But the preacher in front of you, not so good. And I'm in good company which is bad company, and misery loves company because the person on either side of you ain't that good either. Don't look at them. Blink at me if you're sitting next to somebody that you know is one fry short of a Happy Meal. So I'm challenged to take inventory, and when I take inventory on how I'm not all of that, I recognize that God calls me to look at my life. Have I progressed? from last week to this week? Oh, some of y'all are trying to go back in ancient history, and I'm saying just this week, have you made an attempt to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling? Not that you've already attained everything you need, but one thing you can do, forget what happened 35 minutes ago when y'all were mad at each other. On the drive here, I can't stand you. I don't like you. Well, your mama, no, your mama. Then you get here, hallelujah, praise the Lord. <laughs> Brother John, it's so good to be in the house of prayer and praise. <laughs> hypocrisy. God is saying, look at your life. Are you progressing? Because if you're standing still, you're a stick in the mud, and God is saying, there's got to be more. And when I looked at my life, I didn't stop at have a progress. I, I looked at my finance. Anyone? Look at your checking, your saving, your giving, where your money's going to the college fund for the kids. I got two. Their name are high maintenance and many me. My daughter said, I'm mini-me, I'm not high-maintenance. So the son must be the high-maintenance one. She was here this morning in the earlier service. And when I look at my checking and my saving, they take all my money. <laughs> I'm paying tuition. <laughs> Give me a minute. Jesus, take the wheel. I'm telling you when you look at your life. I don't stop at my finance. I had to check out my health. Anybody need to look at their health? Because I'm on the go for the Lord, and i got to be ready for camp, because these youngins say, oh, 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 <laughs> i got to be in shape. But this is not celery stick and rice cake country. This is pork rind and regular Coca-Cola. <laughs> Throw in Bluebell. And I need help. And so looking at my, my life, I went and did one of those, what you call, checkups, and I'm in my 40s. So men, where you at? I went and saw the doctor. I met this dude for the first time in life. I told him my name, he told me his name, then he asked me to do something. That requires flowers, mood lighting, and a whole lot more getting to know you. I don't want to talk about it, but check your help! Inventory, inventory, I'm still there, and then I looked at my character, my spiritual man. Is my faith intact? Am I doing what pleases God? My bride is not here today, but am I walking in integrity to let her know, read, that she is mine and I am hers and I'm no longer on the market? Integrity, character, 
It's who you are when ain't nobody looking. And I just need to let you know I found a word since last week to this week. I found a scripture verse for today. And I got a story to tell you. Then I'll be out your afro, your weave, or whatever you got up top. <laughs> Here's the word to help me in inventory, self-assessment. Are you ready? Are you, I don't think y'all are ready. It's a fat word. It's Hebraic. It's a challenge that needs to be hidden in your DNA and in your heart so you refuse to sin against God and go back to what you once were when he's calling you to who you need to be. Here's the word. Hanane! You should have wrote, wrote it down. Hanane. Let me spell it. H-I-N-E-N-I. On the count of three, say it with me. One, two, three. Hanane. I didn't say the Nene. Some of y'all stuck right there. I didn't say the Nene. I didn't. I did not say for those who are sitcom buff, Shanene. You can't hear the rest of the sermon. I didn't say Shanene. I said Hinene. It's a Hebrew term, and what makes it so theologically swelled is this. It takes three words in the English language to define that one. That's deep. Hinene. Here's what it means. Here am I. But don't get it twisted. You got to understand, when you get this word, there's more to the equation. It says, here I am completely. Are you? We blame the youth for having attention deficit disorder, but I know some adults that, that struggle in focus. We come, we take in the air condition, we sit in the room, we show up in case Nana calls and said, did you go to church this year? But God is saying, Hinene, are you here completely? Is that your ministry vertical that you would give him mind, body, soul, and spirit? Looking at the inventory of your life, looking at from whence you've come, are you closer to God today than you were yesterday? Survey says, I go through the motions, preacher. I come to the service. I'm very religious. And God says, not enough. Hinene. Now I'm going to show it to you in Scripture because many of us, we look at the Old Testament and we find Moses who went by a burning bush and it burned and didn't consume. Wouldn't that get your attention? You walk out here on 157 and a bush is burning and it ain't crumbling up. Hanene! And then out of the bush, your name is called, first, middle, and last, what you call when you're in trouble. Because in the Old Testament, Moses was spoken from a bush. Old dude was minding his own business, just walking into Moses. Hanene, because the bush <laughs> called him by name. But not just Moses, he gave his attention and God spoke. Abraham, Old Testament, was charged to take his son Isaac, whose name meant laughter. <laughs> he had another boy that he did on his own, and God said, no, I gave you a promised child with Sarah, and you should be excited with the gift in your old age. He was 100, she was 90. Hello, somebody. Hanene! We gonna have a what? And God said, take that blessing and take him on a hill, wrap him in cords, sacrifice him. And in the midst of him obeying God, like we need to obey him today. Don't wait till camp to get this word and come to the altar. Don't wait till you get goosebumps on goosebumps and then it feels like it's okay. Today is the day to come home to a truth that sets men free. 
and whom the Son has set free. He or she is free indeed. And you ought to tell your face, I'm free. Some of y'all look like you've been sucking on sour lemons and chasing it with pickle juice. But here's what Abraham did. He raised the dagger obediently to God, and from the heavenlies came a voice, Abraham, Abraham. Hanene, stay your hand. There's a ram in the bush, which is a suitable substitute. You should have shouted amen right there. So in this text, I want to give you, on top of the word, here I am completely. You've tried it. Anybody ever tell somebody, call me no matter what time of day. Give your boy a holler. Give your girl a shout. And they called at 3 in the morning? Hanene. Oh, I've screened the call. Not today, Grandma. I mean, you got to be committed. <laughs> when you get that early morning call that you solicited and said it was okay to receive. So I got to show it to you in Scripture. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, the Word of God says in verse number 4, Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do it for you. 1 Samuel chapter 1, or chapter 20, verse 4. That's crazy. That's, that's amazing. Now, the actual word henene is not in that verse, but the picture is painted, that, that I'm here for you. We are boys. We are ride or die. We are mano in mano, womb to tomb. I got your back. You got my back. Whatever you ask, I'm going to do it for you. So why is that important? You need to see this scripture verse, and you need to understand it because the importance lies in this. David was not liked by Jonathan's family. Anybody ever have a friend that you knew was the one and your family didn't like him? This is, y'all not going to participate with me? <laughs> Anybody ever ride with someone and you became close and then the family saw him and they were like, oh, I don't think so. Junebug needs to stay on the porch. You're like, that's my boy, though. We, that's, my, that's my boo, my bae. But the family said, no bueno. Okay, the challenge is here. Look at the, the passage again. You need to see it because uh, when you say, here I am, you're saying mutual. You're saying in agreement. You're saying in alignment. You're saying covenant connection. It is me with you and you with me. It's not one directional. It's not, I love you. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. Oh, that's my dad. I'm sorry. I'm coming back to the text because this is a mutual call. It is you saying the theme for today is this, the cry in all relationships of all kinds, especially the most necessary relationship you need to establish today with God is this, here am I. But the ultimate call is what God is screaming for. And it is here I am completely. Yes, Lord. Now, what's the question? Oh, that, that, yeah. When you say yes to his will, yes to his way, before he shows you the fine print, before he takes you to the place of what he's unpacking for you, you are committing to him and signing up for his service without having your comfort zone stroked. And that's the passage of Scripture we're in today, because if you back up, you will hear what happens in verse 20. Or chapter 20, verse 1, David fled from Naoth 
in Ramah and came to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What did I do wrong? How have I sinned against your father so that he wants to take my life? Jonathan said to him, no, it's not going to happen, man. You won't die. Listen, my father passes everything by me. He doesn't do anything, great or small, without telling me. So why would he hide this matter from me? This can't be true. David said, hold on, your father certainly knows that you have come to look favorably on me. He has said, Jonathan must not know of this or else he'll be grieved. David also swore, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, there is but a step between me and death dealing with your daddy Saul. And verse 4 comes, Jonathan said to that boy David, whatever you ask of me, I'll do it. On the count of three, shout the word for the week. One, two, three. That's what he's saying. I'm here for you. I'm here completely. You got my attention. I'm laser gazed. All this hearsay is haterade. Don't drink it. I'm available. And I challenge you today, will you give the ultimate cry to God? Here I am completely. I'm available to you. And in the midst of that cry, you need to know that Hanene is found 178 times in the Hebrew Tanakh, the Jewish text. Then it is housed eight times in the Torah, which is the first five books of our biblical message from God. And, and, and you are called not to lip service. You are called to have an attitude that is bearing in your commitment and your entire person and your encompassing of emotional and spiritual affection. How many women married to a man want that from him? The ideal relationship, identified, acquired, and maintained. The lady should have said, hey. And y'all looking at me like a calf at a brand new gate. Am I supposed, is that rhetorical? No. Don't you want a relationship that nothing can get betwixt and between, that nothing can separate you from? Whether it's a friendship, a marriage, a parental exchange, you are a child to a parent. You want to know that there is a total affection and connection that involves full surrender. And this preacher blew it. I know better. And God deserves more. And he's calling me to a right relationship with my Redeemer. And so with that theme in mind, and with the Hanene being a connection that is complete, we need to know that you identify it, acquire it, and then you maintain it by these wise. Imagine... David is the apple of God's eye. And your parents know Junebug, Brittany, and Biff, they need surveillance. They need to be followed. You shouldn't be friends with them. But this is David. He's a warrior. He took out Goliath. He stood in the gap for Israel. He was not afraid. He knew he was bought with a price. He was not his own. And though ruddy, though short, though he had short man's disease, he knew dynamite comes in small packages. He wouldn't skirt. That was a connection that led him to serve God with reckless abandon. Does that describe your life? Imagine that he's not just disliked. His friend's parent wants to kill him and take him out. 
And so if you look at chapter 19, verse 1 and 2 and 4, that will give us some clarity on the backdrop. Saul ordered his son, Jonathan, and all his servants to kill David, but Saul's son, Jonathan, liked David very much. So he told him, my father, Saul, intends to kill you. Be on guard in the morning and hide in a secret place and stay there. Verse 4, chapter 19, Jonathan spoke well of David to his father, Saul. He said to him, the king should not sin against his servant, David. He hasn't sinned against you. In fact, his actions have been a great advantage to you. At this point in time, David had done no wrong. He didn't do anything that deserves death, but he was still despised and disliked. Somebody shout favor. Ain't fair. That's what's happening in your life. It ain't fair. Whatever God has for you, he's going to give it to you. But it ain't fair. You know you don't deserve the position, the title. You know you don't deserve the station in life or the spouse you're with. You know you don't deserve to have the things that you've gotten in your progression through life. And God says, favor ain't fair. I want you to hear this clearly. Chapter 18, verse 1 through 3, when David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan committed himself to David and loved him as he loved himself. Is that you? Because there are men in the room, as I told the first service, that have Dunlap disease, where your belly done lapped over your belt. And you still think you're the world's best gift to humankind. Come on, y'all know some folk who just look in the mirror and their hymn is not half nine on way, it's I'm too sexy for myself. <laughs> and God says, incorrect, you're not that important, you're not that gifted. And here I find that David and Jonathan built a relationship where Jonathan loved him as much as he loved himself. This world will be a whole better place if we decided to let go and let God have his way and be selfless. The affection that we have to take care of ourselves, to groom ourselves, to brush our gums and teeth ought to be the kind of devotion we have to see to it that others are esteemed highly than ourselves. That's Jonathan. Verse 2, Saul kept David with him from that day on because he didn't trust him. He was suspicious and jealous. He was skeptical, so it's easy to keep him close than to be worried from afar off. Verse 3, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed his robe. Look at this. He removed also his tunic. He gave his sword, his bow, and his belt, surrendering all that he possessed. I hope today is a day of reckoning and self-evaluation and self-assessment where you know you've blown that assignment. You sit back and you let others go forward because you don't think it takes all that. You sit and become spectators when God is saying this is the participatory sport. When Pastor John will stand here in a few moments and invite you to leaders that are at the altar, that's your cue to not stay stuck in a rut. I know it's uncomfortable, this is your first Sunday here, this is your first Sunday back, and you're trying to fill it out, and it's not, it's strange what's happening, but God is saying, I'm talking to whoever's sitting where you're sitting. Come home. Come home to rest, come home to exhale, 
Come home where you can lay down your weariness. Come home to a friend strip that's sticking closer than a brother. Because God is a way maker, a mind regulator, a bridge over troubled waters. He's the first, the last, the alpha, the omega. He's my mind, the regulator. He's my all and my all. Why would I be distant from one who loves me in spite of me, looks beyond my fault, sees me at the point of my need? Hanene, I'm here. All of me loves all of you with all my curves and all. Y'all not ready for this word, I'm challenging you. I'm messed up and God is Messiah through his son. He has come to bring me home. Hanene. So here are two ingredients to get there. How do we do it? How do we cross this abyss? How do we get over the hump? How do we draw a line in the sand and get out of darkness and walk in the light? I got you, I got you. It's here in the passage. If you look at chapter 20 again, God says to us what we need to do. Jonathan was loyal and a man of his word. You know what that did? That enabled him to forsake even the blood kinship with his relatives and his dad in particular. Now, I'm not telling y'all be disobedient to your parents. I'm telling you to follow God. And as you follow God, a loyalty will lift that makes you committed to the core, come what will or may. You're saying, God, I am yours, and you, my beloved, are mine. And wherever you lead me, I got to follow. I trust you, leaning not to my own understanding. I'm looking in the Bible. I'm looking in the mirror. I got my dictionary. I'm leaning not to what I can cerebrally comprehend. In all my ways, I'm acknowledging you. And you know what God promised? He'll direct your path. You don't have to wander aimlessly. I'll follow someone like that. And so the challenge is we find Jonathan's loyalty and he, being a man of his word, committed. So what do we do? Number one, here's what you got to do. You got to take on a formula that's the ideal relationship identified, required, acquired, and maintained. Here it is. Number one, be loyal as you seek loyalty in a covenant from someone else. Let me just flip it. You need to be those that connect with someone loyal to their covenant. Why? Because you're loyal to yours. Okay, let me pack it. Here it is. Have you ever asked somebody to be your friend, but this is how you look? Why didn't anybody greet me in service? I came to this church, and that's supposed to be a friendly church, and nobody came and hugged me, because you look like this. <laughs> and you got the persona of don't approach. When you show yourself friendly, guess what you'll attract? Friends. When you show yourself lovable, guess what will come your direction? Love. But if you're here with folded arms and clenched fists, and you're wondering why God isn't touching your life, because you look like this. He wants to come through. He wants to bless you. He wants to open the window of heaven, pour it out. You have no room to receive, but your fists are clenched. Your arms are folded. And you're saying, no, thank you, God. But I find here, Jonathan, who shows loyalty and then seeks covenant loyalty in exchange. So let me share with you. What we see in the whole account is two men who loved each other deeply but loved God more. Here's not the equation we should follow. We shouldn't be those who just look left and right, and that's where our love ends. Because if all you have is the person on your right and your left, you're like two ticks without a dog. 
You'll catch that tomorrow at lunch. Oh, that's what it, it ain't enough. You need God in the equation who teaches you vertically how to love horizontally. And then loyalty drips from your pores. If I cut you, you'd bleed this word. That's number one. And when you see this, Jonathan saw it was worth sacrificing all that he had, his future, his kingdom, his family, even his life for the friendship and bond he had with David. Jonathan shows loyalty even when it was hard and it didn't make sense for him to do so. God asks us the same question today. Will you connect loyal with me? That's one. Two, you got to find in this passage connection with someone who's faithful because you yourself are faithful. Anybody here? Make it your business to be faithful? Because when you're faithful unto him, he does not deny you from glory. What happens when we realize that we're to be faithful and expect God's faithfulness to overshadow where we fall short? Here's what happens. You're going to be attacked. Y'all thought I was going to give you a seeker-sensitive word, didn't you? When you are loyal and faithful and you want loyalty and faithfulness, the enemy has a recipe against you. And I got to hurry so we can beat the Methodists to lunch. The challenge in chapter 20, <laughs> verse 30 and 31. Real quick, real quick, look at it. Then Saul became angry with Jonathan and shouted, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. That's in your Bible. Y'all don't even read this, dude. That's good stuff. That's better than desperate housewives and scandal. One life to live and as the world turns. It's all right here. Listen, don't go use this now loosely after you sign up a perversion. Don't go do that. But it says that Saul was so livid, so enraged, so cray-cray that he came after his son and David. Listen, it says, you sign up a perverse, rebellious woman. Don't I know that you are siding with Jesse's son to your own shame? and to the disgrace of your mother. Every day Jesse's son lives on earth. You and your kingship are not secured. Now send for him, David, because he should surely die. What does the enemy use against you? The same stuff he's always used. You know why the Satan and the devil that we are afraid of doesn't come at us with new stuff? Because the old stuff still works. He had four things to come against your two, loyalty and faithfulness, and here they are. He used shame, he used guilt, he used greed, and he used fear in verse 30 and 31. Shame, guilt, greed, fear. Guilt, shame, greed, fear. Four things wickedly that still are used against. It was used against Jonathan, but he wouldn't bow down. Anybody experienced guilt just this week? Peppered with some shame? seasoned with greed, and then it caused you to fear. Anybody have to wear suspenders and a belt? <laughs> Extra security? I'm just saying, I ain't trying to hate on anyone. I'm just saying that every now and then, we need extra. I'm still in the passage because I see that Jonathan teaches us the blessing of staying loyal to the loyal one and faithful to the faithful one, even if it could not bring you peace. And all you had was pain and grief. He demonstrated a life akin to Hinene. So let me close. Tell, tell you a story that helps me with the one word and then 1 Samuel. Fred Craddock, bandy distinguished professor of preaching, Candler University, Hotlanta, talks about being a young boy who played hide and seek. 
always scrawny, little bitty fella. Not athletic, but hide and seek, you couldn't beat him. Can you imagine? Anybody know the game? Somebody's it, everybody else goes and hides as they count to 10. Let's just rewind with Fred Craddock. He said he was real itty-bitty, and he could get to a spot no one could ever find him. He said, nobody will ever find me here. It's the best spot in the world. <laughs> nobody will ever find me. <laughs> so he's playing with his sister. She's it. She's counting 1,001, 1,002, and he goes to his spot up under the porch, and he's giggling, not out loud, but under his, nobody will ever find me here. 1,005, <laughs> she's cheating, trying to advance the the count, 1,010, ready or not, here I come. And in the midst of that, Fred is giggling under his breath, she will never find me here. And she goes from the base to the house, no Fred, from the house to the barn, no Fred, from the barn to the clubhouse, no Fred, from the clubhouse to the field, he's giggling, no, she'll never find me, she'll never find me, she'll never find me. 10 minutes later, he said, she'll never find me here. I'm up under this porch. So stuck out her, his toe. And she passed back, but I see you. And there was Fred. He said, you got me. Come from under the porch. Come here, first user. Isn't that what we really all want? Is to somehow, some way be found. And on today, God is saying, come out, come out. Wherever you are. Ready or not, here I come. And my invitation is to get you from under the porch of guilt, to call you from under the porch of shame, that you would dust off greed and make your way from fear to faith. Come home. Maybe you need to stick your toe out. Youth, maybe this is your launch into the week. Adults, maybe you now can stop hiding because ain't nobody going to find you there. And what you really want is the ideal relationship that says, come home. As leaders come forward and pastor comes to the altar, I take my seat. God is still speaking. And maybe you just need to Come to him and take a good look at where you are and where you ain't and get honest as I've had to in taking inventory I blew it last week surrendering all when I know I should have don't let today pass you by without getting to the place God welcomes you as home where he cleanses you and gives you the ability to earnestly, tenderly hear his call. Stand to your feet as pastor challenges us. Come home.